Let us pray. May the words that flow from my mouth make sense because they are inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's the first time I've done this with you guys like this in a little while. And it's actually different to how I've ever done it because I'm also looking at those people online. You will notice online that I'm probably not quite as um, close. Um, yeah, at least I don't have to watch myself preach anymore. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, but um, when we sat down and we mapped out our preaching for all of 2020, around about this time last year, and we had blocked out the period between now and Advent and Christmas uh, to do a series on evangelism. Now, I know uh, when I use that word, it's probably triggered an automatic response in many of you, ranging from excitement to repulsion and everything in between. The times that we find ourselves living have caused us to look at things with different lenses. And that's how we're going to approach this series. How do we look at evangelism in the world that we find ourselves living in? I pray that we might find ourselves reclaiming that word in a different way, or maybe finding and using different words. You may have heard me uh, say on a number of occasions recently that I believe that God is more possible in the minds of those outside the church than God has ever been in my lifetime. And that is the foundation of this series. As Christians, we believe that God is possible. And making God possible for others is our mission. Jesus is quite definite about this in his final words in Matthew's Gospel, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I heard somebody describe today's Bible passage uh, that we heard from Matthew as the best thing that Jesus says about evangelism other than that passage in Matthew 28. And today's Bible passage helps us to focus on our first topic, invitation. What does invitation look like in the times that we are living in? I think that one of the reasons that some of us may have cringed when I used the E word is based around our own experience or perceived expectation of what invitation looks like. I know many of us are heartbroken for all those that we love who we've been inviting for years who've always said no or have said yes but then gradually drifted away. I know there have been many formulas, phrases and processes proposed about the right way to invite. Words like, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? 
If you were to die tomorrow, do you know where you'll be going? Now these methods have been promoted because they have worked. You yourself may have responded to this or even used this type of approach successfully. But what if you don't have the confidence to use those type of words? And what if these types of questions aren't actually always the right type of question to ask, particularly these days? Leanne and I have been watching a documentary series called The Vow. It's about the Nexium cult, which was uh, in the headlines and still is in the headlines with their leader and founder convicted of human trafficking. And there's a number of celebrities that have connected with this cult. I found myself watching and looking on with horror at the blatant manipulation that seemed to be present and thinking, how can they not see it? Using fear and shame and expectation to coerce and regulate behaviour. But partway through the last episode, it hit me. Wow. How close to this type of behaviour has the church gone over the years? and called it evangelism. I found myself instantly repenting of anything like that that I might have been knowingly or unknowingly complicit in. See, up until not long ago, the only invitation that was necessary was cultural expectation. If you had a family that had a history with the church you were expected just to continue that history in your own story. This began to destabilise in the Enlightenment period of the 1700s, but really began to erode after World War II. The problem is that most modern churches, including us Anglican ones, are still formed, structured and operated under a cultural mindset that if you open a church in the middle of town open the doors, people will just turn up. In the last six months, it's been a real struggle just to open the doors physically, let alone dealing with people who just turn up, particularly if they haven't registered. The use of fear, shame or guilt has also been a go-to tool for inviting people to join, become more connected or stay connected to the Christian faith. I think fear and shame and guilt can actually have a temporary impact on a person's position or behaviour. But it seems to be that history has proved that the long-term impact is usually going to end up being negative and result in disconnection. Our recent journey through Mark's Gospel has shown us that good news is actually better than that. No fear, no shame, no guilt, no manipulation, no list of things that you have to do to earn what you actually already have. God's love. 
So let's keep this thinking in the back of our minds as we dig into what is a fairly unusual story. If you are paying attention, as Dale encouraged us to, to that kids' cartoon, you note, you'll notice that the Matthew version is a little grittier than what we saw uh, that the Saddleback Kids uh, team presented to us. We've got a king who's invited a whole lot of people to a wedding banquet and has found that they've rejected his invitation, all of them. We see multiple attempts to entice them. We see mistreatment of the king's servants by those he invited. We see a violent and excessive punishment to those invited guests. We see him opening up the banquet to anyone and everyone. But we also see the violent expulsion of a guest who wasn't wearing the right clothes. There is a way of reading Jesus' parables that sees us try and substitute the characters in the parable with God, with Jesus, with the people that Jesus is talking to, and yet even us. And this can be really helpful. But if we're doing that, we need to keep in mind that it is problematic to think that a parable is the only picture or the whole picture. Jesus uses parables as a tool to make or emphasize a point. They weren't in and of themselves a comprehensive explanation or even a summary of his teachings. To associate the king in this parable with God is a common understanding of this parable. But to think the behaviour of this king is equivalent to the full nature and person of God revealed throughout Scripture and particularly revealed through Jesus would be jarringly inaccurate. The king uses fear and violence to bring about an end. Yet I've just said that the summary of the good news is that there is no fear, no shame, no guilt, no manipulation, no list of things that you have to do to earn what we already have, the love of God. So what do we do with this wild tale? Let's skip back a couple of verses and see what's just happened. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realised that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. Jesus consistently taught against misdirected righteousness and a sense of entitlement. And he was witnessing that on a regular basis in the culture of his day. The people who were chosen and loved by God were supposed to be people who reflected that love of God. There was supposed to be love, justice and mercy evident. When Jesus saw self-righteousness and entitlement that excluded others from the reality of their identity, he taught strongly against it. But fortunately for us, we don't have a problem with self-righteousness and entitlement in the modern church. So we can just skip over this whole parable, can't we? 
It is great to be invited somewhere. Everybody likes to receive an invitation, don't they? It makes you feel wanted and special. But what if you're not sure who else is going to be there? What if you're not sure where you'll be seated or who you'll be seated with? Or maybe you don't really like that venue. Or you really don't want to comply with the suggestions of what you should wear. You see, we start to reflect some of that sense of self-righteousness and entitlement that Jesus saw in the chief priests and the Pharisees. This parable is a powerful reminder that there is no exclusive guest list in the kingdom of God. Everyone is invited. We are already loved by God, the good and even the bad. Church doesn't look like it did six months ago. Most churches are reporting that not everyone has accepted the invitation to, re- to regather either on-site or online. And for many reasons, some of which include that they just don't like the way things that have changed. While we are continued to journey with these people in love and relationship, journey with anybody who is in Christ, whether they're in the building or online or or anything, we are called to be part of community. We're not called to wait for them to come back or to change things back so that they will return or to save their seat until they're ready. No, these times have reminded us that we should always have the doors metaphorically flung open to the kingdom of God. Church buildings are another thing, but to the kingdom of God, we always have to have an open door policy. And technology has enabled and reminded us of the accessibility of the possibility of God for all people. It's only one click away, anytime, day or night. You don't need to register for the kingdom of God. You don't need a QR code. You don't need to quarantine for two weeks before you enter the kingdom of God. You don't have to pass any tests or perform any rituals, hand-cleaning rituals or, or any of that. You don't even need the right paperwork to cross the borders of the kingdom of God. The good news is that we have been loved the whole time and all that is left for us to do is to trust that this is actually true and then live like it is. Yes, we have to actually live like we have been loved this whole time. And if we do this, it will change our appearance. The eviction of the improperly dressed guest reminds us that invitation comes with responsibility. Well, more than responsibility, it comes with a commission, the Great Commission. If we don't accept our commission, 
we start to regress back to the self-righteousness and entitlement and we just become like the chief priests and the Pharisees that Jesus is teaching against. It is the commission that keeps the church dynamic, its people humble and the good news visible. We don't actually need a clever question, a phrase or a process to invite. We just have to live like we know that we are loved. That is the invitation. Our visible lives reflecting the love of God. That's it. So that means that my invitation can look different to yours because it reflects the joys and challenges, the success and the failures that I've been coming to terms with as I'm realising that I've been loved the whole time. I don't have to be a perfect model of a Christian because there isn't such a thing. It's just a real person, problems and all, gifts and talents and all, faults and failings and all, out there in the world, doing what we do, being who we are, and realising that we are loved. We own this reality for ourselves. And because of that, we don't want to impose our reality on others. That's not invitation. That's more like manipulation. We want and we pray that they will own it for themselves. So we start to see and treat others, all who we find, the good and the bad, the ones that we like and the ones that we may not have given the time to get to know, to know whether we like them or not, or even the ones that we have spent the time with and we know we don't like. All of these people we start to treat differently. Like they have been loved by God this whole time. Invitation is not hard. It's not scary. It's not the right words. It's just you and me believing and trusting that we are loved by God and starting to live like it and allowing the Holy Spirit to do all that hard stuff that we're not sure of. And as the Holy Spirit works in and through us, we will see our appearance start to change and our relationships with those around us to change. The hardest part of inviting others is to accept the invitation to actually live like we are and have always been loved by God. I pray, particularly in this season, that we are bold enough to accept that invitation, that others might see that the invitation is there for them as well. Amen.